12 is where we're going to start again tonight. I will tell you, tomorrow night I will preach what some people have called our testimony. And uh, my wife Nancy has experienced several tragedy type things in our family. We've gone through some things and I'm going to talk about those just some tomorrow night. And, but I, the text in Hebrews 12, we will use and explain why bad, why horrible things happen, why tragedy comes, and then uh, what's our response to it. So what is God doing, what's going on, and what's our response to that, and we'll do that, uh, Lord willing, tomorrow night. So uh, it's my plan, by God's grace, we'll do that. Hebrews 12. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. We stand to give reverence and to give honor to the eternal, infallible, inerrant. It is the perfect, preserved word of the living God. If we don't have God's word, we're on our own. And we're just doing so much exercise in here tonight and trying to make each other feel better if we don't have God's word. But if we have God's word, we have something to stand on. We have something to trust in. We have something to believe in. Praise God for his holy word. Hebrews 12. All right, no, 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 time out. I'm getting ready to read the verse. Verse 1 and the first few words of verse 2. Now here's the deal. As I read these words, I'm hoping that you that have been here are going to have some visuals take place so that you can see some of what we've gone over this week. So let's read. Verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Mercy, that's powerful, powerful words in the Holy Bible. Let me pray with you, please. Our great God, I come to you again. I just want to say thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for health, just to be able to attend tonight. Thank you. I know there are people that are not healthy, they're not capable to attend, and they really would like to. Thank you that we are. And God, thank you for the occasion that we've assembled, uh, that Wooden Valley Baptist Church is spending a few days, just a few days uh, extra, just to say, God, revive us. God, uh, refresh us. God, stir us up. God, set, set us on fire some more. Help increase our love. Lord, that's what our intent is. For those that are just going through the motions, I pray you'd break in on that heart, and Lord, there would be a, a real refreshment. And God, for us that are thirsty and hungry and we want more, would you do it? Would you give us more tonight? God, perhaps those that are indifferent, I'd ask you in your great grace and the power of your spirit and word that you'd break in on every heart that we would all understand a little bit of who you are and we would say yes to you if someone's not yet saved i beg you touch them convince them convict them of their sin of their need they would realize that you're holy and they're not they need a savior they need a forgiver And your son, Jesus Christ, is the forgiver. I pray tonight that would be evident in their soul and they'd say yes to you. So, Lord, thank you for what we've already enjoyed in good music and fellowship, the reading of your word. And, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you are about to do right now. So we give you all the glory and praise. And it is in the mighty name of your only begotten son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. In the the metaphor that is given 
there is a great cloud. We're compassed about this arena. And there's an activity, an athletic event, a race that's going on. And the race is a metaphor for the Christian life. Somebody say amen. amen. That's what it's about. It's about Christianity. I want to put a couple thoughts in your mind because the metaphor is real. And in the Christian life, there is no doubt, there is no doubt there are times of great celebration, great rejoicing in the race. Everybody with me? It's a hallelujah. It's a glory to God sometimes. Praise His name. But it's also true there's times of great disappointment, heartbreak, tears, sorrow, strenuous self-discipline. So in the race, those are all realities, amen? And then inside the race also, since it's called Christianity, we've got this other thing to contend with. Humanity. We're all humans. When you get born did again, did you're still human? Did that doesn't go away, and we must contend with our flesh. It's part of the race. Often, that's part of the great disappointment. There's another thing that happens in the race. The arch enemy of God doesn't, just because you get the shirt and you get the number doesn't mean he goes, okay, got to leave them alone. Satan is still out to destroy our lives. Excuse me, he is still out to destroy your life. Whatever he can do to get you off the track, on the sidelines, he will do. It doesn't matter what area of life it is, the enemy wants to destroy your Christianity and stop you. You sit here tonight and act like, oh no, he's not after me. Oh yes, he is. Whatever he can do to get you on, excuse me, don't get me started on this. There are all kinds of people who used to be a believer, used to trust God, used to try their best, used to be faithful. Why don't they still? Is it because it's not real? Or because we have an enemy? Is anybody hearing me? I'm saying in this race it sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? We've got we got rejoicing, hallelujah, glory to God, and then there's this strenuous self-discipline, and then there's disappointments, and there's failures, and then we got our flesh, ah, then we got the enemy of God, Satan is out to destroy us. I, I, I'm thinking, this could, be, this, could, this could be like a hard race. Excuse me, you're not getting it. Most Christians want cotton candy and chocolate cake. Everything is happy. Since I got saved, everything is awesome. I never have any difficulty. Well, you're not in the same race of Hebrews chapter 12. Because it's like an agony. Amen? I'm not, no, 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 no. I'm not the one that invented this. It's in the Holy Bible. Mercy. Then we got the weights. Is anybody getting any of this? This is a serious race, isn't it? All right, now let's move on to a new area that we've not yet covered specifically. Verse 1, wherefore? Well, we might as well stop right there. Anytime wherefore is in the Bible, you're supposed to find out wherefore it therefore. Or why for is it wherefore? 
It's always a conclusive or uh, an inclusive statement that it's something happened before it, and then they go, well, wherefore? Hebrews 11 has been called the Hall of Fame of Faith. Amen? Wherefore, since all these people of Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith chapter of all these people, wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Hallelujah. I thought there was, uh, I think it's interesting, or at least, uh, evidently, I think it's important enough to mention it. I'm getting ready to. You can look at the word great in a couple of ways. One way you can look at it is how many are there. There's a lot. Amen? Excuse me, who, who's, uh, who, who would be compassionate? Who would be these, some of these witnesses? Well, it'd be everybody of Hebrews 11. But it'd be anybody else who's been a partaker of the heavenly calling that are dead. Yeah. It's a great cloud. It's like a multitude. There's like a bunch. And there's another way to look at the word great is... Great with the idea of the feats or the accomplishments of these people in the past. I like to say it like this. The heroes of the faith of Hebrews 11 were great in their faith. Here's another way to say it. They're like heroes. I think it's awesome to have heroes. I think it's a natural human inclination to have people that we look up to. I think it's also important to be sure you know who your heroes are. If, Hebrew, if heroes are people of the faith, you probably got a good hero. If you have heroes that are not of the faith, you might probably be succumbed by the wicked one. Don't get me started. I'm not trying to preach that, but boy, it sure is on my heart. Well, they're great because we look up to them and say, I'd like, to, I'd like to be like that. God, thank you for them. I strive to have faith like that. I strive to be dedicated like that. I strive to finish like that. They're my heroes. And then since we're talking about it, I think it's okie-dokie to have heroes right now today that are not dead. That there are people that we look up to and say, God, thank you for them. Thank you for their faith. Thank you for their commitment. Thank you for their dedication. Thank you for their influence. God, thank you. I, I, I'd like to be like that someday. I, I want to be steadfast like they are. They're heroes. But I have to do a half, back, a half step backwards and tell you that really and truly nobody is altogether truly a hero until they're dead. Because there's another way to say it. No one is truly, truly faithful until they're dead. Well, that's a bummer. I think I'm trying to be faithful right now. Well, evidently we are. It's Tuesday night. We're here. But the problem is I might get off track this week and I'll get over here on the sidelines and I'm not out there making progress for Jesus. And I could become an absolute imbecile. I think it's okay to say idiot. Excuse me, no, 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 I wouldn't be the first fundamental independent God-fearing devil-hating Bible-believing Baptist preacher that got off track and became an idiot. Excuse me, you're not paying attention, are you? Do you know who in this room is a candidate to get off track and become an idiot or get off track and just turn your back on this stuff? You know who's a candidate in this room to do that? If you're breathing air, you're a candidate. If you're not breathing air, you're dead. We could say, they died faithful. <laughs> it's true. But oh, us that are breathing air, we still should strive to be faithful. 
We still should strive to do what's right. It's not my goal to be anybody's hero, but I know humanity. It is my goal to do right and live right and do the, behave right and try to be honest with Scripture. And if others look at that and say, thank you for your faithfulness, thank you for your dedication, thank you for your steadfastness, I look up to you. I know people do that because we're human. It's not my goal to be anybody's hero, but it is my goal to be found faithful to God. Is anybody getting this? We're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. They're great because of how their faith in God. They're great because perhaps how many are in there. Now let's talk about this. These witnesses. Now I grew up in church. My dad was my preacher, so I was in the nursery when I was a week or so old, and I've been in church my whole life. As a kid growing up, and I'd read this, and then college, looking at it, when I'd read this, I'd go, whoa, we got this cloud of witnesses, and they're watching the race, and they're going, come on, Dave, you can do it. Don't give up, Dave. Go, Dave. Go. Yes, you're making, yay. And there's, they're all cheering for us. And then uh, I realized they, they, they can't see us. Well, that's a bummer. I thought they could see us. They're the cloud of witnesses. They're watching us and they're cheering us on. Hallelujah. But they cannot see us. Brother Dave, I think you're mixed up because it says it's a great cloud of witnesses. (laughs) They're watching. Well, actually, the word witness doesn't mean they're necessarily watching. I'll help you with this in a minute, but I've got to back up and let's let you know this. My dad's been in heaven five years. Let's just say my dad's in heaven, he's in the stands, and he's watching. You know what he'd be doing the last five years? Now, excuse me, my dad has 11 children. I'm not the only one. The day he died, there was 126 people that had part of his blood in their veins. I'm not the only one. But if dad in the last five years was watching me, you know what he'd be doing? What are you doing, boy? You're out of your mind. God sent someone down there to knock him in the head. My dad used that term a lot, knock him in the head. My dad's heart would be broken. He'd be so full of grief and disappointment in just one of his children's life. Heaven would cease to be heaven. Is anybody hearing me? Oh, Brother Dave, it says we're compassed about with this great cloud of witnesses. Now, here's another way to look at it. See, a witness also is someone who in a courtroom would come and, you know, sit in the jury box, I mean, in the witness stand, and before the jury and the judge, that person would give uh, a testimony. See, these witnesses that are surrounding us, they are not observing us and watching our daily life. They are witnesses to us. They are a testimony to us about, I did it, I made it, so can you. Their lives, these heroes, are giving us testimony to tell us, you can too. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Don't get your eyes on a teacher. Don't get your eyes on a preacher. Don't get your eyes on your co-worker. Don't get your eyes on your family. Get your eyes on Jesus. If you've got your eyes on Jesus, I'm pretty sure you'll stay okie-dokie. Now, if Jesus isn't Jesus, if he's not the Son of God, we're just all wasting our time anyway. But he is the Son of God. Amen. Amen. I know whom I believed. Amen. All right, now watch. This great cloud of witnesses, their testimony is saying, hey, McCracken, you can too. Who are, who are some of these people that are giving us testimony? In Hebrews 11, if I read you the list, I would read some of them like this. Abel. Enoch. Noah. Sarah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Gideon, 
Barak, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Is everybody with you? Now when I think and I list those people's names, did any of these heroes ever mess up? Yeah, they did. Abraham and Isaac both are liars. Oh, no, she ain't my wife. Just a good-looking woman follows me around. <laughs> Whatever. They lied. Why? To protect their own hide. They're afraid, of, no, that's my wife, that they'd, get, they'd kill them so they could take them. What about Sam, uh, uh, David, the giant killer? Uh, adultery? Oh, murder? You know what God said about David? Uh, he's a man after mine own heart. Somebody that committed adultery, somebody committed murder, he's a man after God's own heart? You know, when I read that in the Holy Bible, you know what I thought? I got a chance. <laughs> I got a chance for this thing. God is a God of mercy and grace. Amen, Amen. I got a chance too. Mercy. What about, this is Samson, the long-haired dude. Strong. Samson, you know that you and I would not even know Samson was in heaven if Hebrews 11 wasn't written? If all we had was the Old Testament, the judges, we'd say, oh, I don't think he made it. He was a womanizer, full of pride and arrogancy. And Samson is in the Hall of Fame of faith. Mercy. Samuel? Samuel, the boy that was taken to the temple when he was just a lad and he grew up there. And yet when Samuel becomes the high priest and he's the one in charge, his boys are wicked. Samuel's got to be a gross father, a neglectful father. That, excuse me, you say, Brother Dave, it's not the parent's fault all the time that the kids mess up. That is true. But the parent was supposed to dismiss them. He let them, he allowed them to be priests and he knew what they were doing. They should have been stoned. He couldn't do it. Is anybody hearing me? Crummy parent. What about this one? The woman with the worst last name in history. Rahab the harlot. What a crummy last name. That's the only name we know for her. Every time we mention her, we don't say Rahab. We say Rahab the harlot. And yet she's in the Hall of Fame. Is our, is our God a great God of mercy or what? Amen. I thought this is fascinating. Noah. <laughs> Noah. I don't know if you got this or not. I, I had privilege about, in the month of March anyway, I got to go to the Ark Experience. It's in northern Kentucky next to Cincinnati that uh, Ken Ham, their uh, creation thing they they have made a replica of the ark Noah's ark the dimensions that the bible says i got to go there it is overwhelming i would love to spend 10 or 15 minutes just telling you about all the stuff that went through my brain that i couldn't believe just real quick what kind of engineering feat would it take a, a man and three sons three sons 120 years to engineer a floating vessel that would house two of living, breathing animals. Then you have to feed them. I used to tell people, oh no, God put them in a coma. They, they, uh, like, uh, they were you know, hibernating for a whole year. If God can get them on a boat, he can put them to sleep. 
I used to think that's what it was because people say, what do you think they did with all the poop? They didn't poop, they were asleep. (laughs) Well, I did something. I actually read the Bible. (laughs) You know what God told Noah to do? He said, I want you to get enough food for your family for a year and the aminals. That means they got to eat too. What do you do? That's a lot, I poo. <laughs> what an engineering feat. And then when he told them how big to build it, I just thought they built a rectangle box. <laughs> okay, let's go. And scientifically, if they only built this box, it would turn over, it would, cry, it would flop around and kill the aminals and it would be a big, huge mess. They had to have a bow and a stern. That's incredible. But here's what's weird. Noah took him 121, where'd he get the money? Anyway, 120 years. During the middle of the boat, he preached occasionally, and then the building was preaching. And he, 120 years, preached righteousness. 120. Three boys, dad and three sons, excuse me, since you brought it up, do you think they ever had a bad day? (laughs) Ever... Everything didn't really go right. And there's no mention they just did it. After it's over, they're on the boat for a year. God uh, lets them out. The Aminos leave. And here's here's what Noah does. He builds an altar and worships God. God, you're awesome. Thank you for delivering us. Thank you for what you did. Hallelujah. We give you glory and praise God. They worship God. And not too many days or weeks after that, Noah gets drunk. Drunker than Cooley Brown. I don't know who Cooley Brown is. But he was drunk as a skunk. How drunk was he? He was so drunk he didn't know anything had happened to him. After... 120 years preaching, after a year on the boat, after building an altar, worship God, then he gets drunk. In my head, in my heart, I'm telling you the gospel truth, I don't see how he got drunk after the altar. I think he should have got drunk while he's building the boat. (laughs) We've had another bad day, boys. I can't take it anymore. I'm drinking. (laughs) It's not recorded that he did. Is anybody hearing me? Noah, a hero, messed up big. And he's in the Hall of Fame. Incredible. No, 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 no. What about the person who wrote the book of Hebrews that God used as the penman? Paul. Did Paul ever mess up? Romans chapter 7. We're not even close to that. Romans chapter 7, watch what the Bible says. Mercy, this is amazing. Verse 15, Paul the Apostle, God makes him put down his personal testimony for eternity. Here he goes, verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Man, he sounds like a schizo. (laughs) Verse 19. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. (laughs) This is crazy. Paul the Apostle. My dad says he's the greatest Christian that's ever lived. That's my dad's test. My dad loved the book of Romans. He thought Paul was the greatest Christian ever lived. And Paul the Apostle said, when I want to do good, I don't do it. When I don't want to do evil, that's exactly what I do. Why? I'll show it to you. If you'll look at verse, uh, mm, verse six, 18. Paul says, for I know that in me, and he says, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Look up here, look up here, look. I think most of us in this room would argue with the Apostle Paul, or we'd at least feel sorry for him. Paul says, I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, 
dwelleth no good thing. You know what we would do? Mm, too bad for you, Paul. That's too bad that you're like that because I'm actually a pretty good person. I'm nice to people. I'm kind. I'm benevolent. I'm not a cheater. Do what you're supposed to do. Too bad. Paul says, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. And we're going, Paul, if you could be more like me, you could be awesome. Because I'm probably the nicest person I know. Is anybody hearing me? You know what Paul is saying? Paul says, this cannot please God. This is not subject to the law of God. Amen. It can't. It cannot please God. And Paul came to the realization that in his flesh dwelleth no good thing. And watch this, verse 21. I find then a law, just like the law of gravity. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Look up here, here's the problem. Because every time Paul wanted to do good, he said, it's a law, evil is present with him. Again, watch this. Every time he wanted to do good, Paul went with him. You get it? Every time he wants to do good, yep, he was there too. Is anybody hearing me? I don't know, maybe, maybe some of you would be honest enough to say that you could give testimony to say, there's things that I know I'm not, shouldn't, and I did. There's things I know I should, I wanted, but I didn't. Paul, it's because of our flesh. It dwelleth no good thing. Paul's heart is crushed within him, and he says this in verse number 24, Oh, wretched man that I am. Paul admitted he's wicked. He's not uh, subject to the law of God. He knows that, he, that in his flesh dwelleth no good thing. He goes, Oh, wretched man that I am. And then he says, Who shall deliver me? You know what? He asked the right question. He didn't say, what shall deliver me? What can I do? Do I need to read more? Do I need to pray more? Do I need to attend more? What do I need to do? No, no, it's not what, it's who. Who, look what it says. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the Lord. He is God's Son. He's the only one that can deliver you. When we ignore who He is and what He is, there's no telling how far we'll get away from God. Amen. It's a person. Jesus is the one that delivers us. Can somebody say amen? amen. I'd like for you now to turn over to 1 Corinthians. I want to show you something. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, just a few pages. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Before I read the text, let me ask you a question. Was Paul in the same race we're in? Trying to become like Jesus, right? Well, how did he run that race? Did he ever mess up? But the only way you can run it is in, with patience. The only way you can. And then keeping your eyes on Jesus Christ. Did Paul ever run in the sand? Boy, there's a whole passage about that he suffered shipwreck and that he'd been beaten and all that stuff. Mercy. Now, here's what I want to do. If you look up here just a second, I'm going to read a few verses in 1 Corinthians 9. But look up here. I would like to read the verses and then say, who does it sound like? Because I'd want you to say, well, it sounds like Jesus. But because it... Uh, some people stumble over it and fumble around with it. it so I'm not doing that. I'm going to tell you in advance. Sounds like Jesus. It's the Apostle Paul's testimony about himself. Remember, he wrestles with flesh. He wrestles with wanting to do good and not doing and all that stuff. But look what he says in chapter 9 and verse uh, number 19. He says, For though I be free from all men... Yet have I made myself servant unto all. That sounds like Jesus. That I might gain the more. Verse 20. Unto the Jews I became as a Jew. That I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law is under the law. That I might gain them that are under the law. 
to them that are without the law as without the law. And then he puts the parentheses saying, well, be not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ. Watch, watch. He's not saying that I reach the lawless people by living lawless. Okay, here we go. Uh, Where was I? Okay, verse 22. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Why? This I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partakers there with you. Ladies and gentlemen, do you understand that Paul, everything in his life, in the race, he had self-discipline, self-sacrifice, self-denial. Why? That he might gain. Why? For the gospel's sake. Excuse me, maybe you're not getting it. I don't know. I, I preach, I say so many things, and I just think that we don't connect them. Remember that it could be intense exertion, claiming body and soul, Christianity. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I'm all things to all men. I have self-denial, self-sacrifice. Why? For the gospel's sake. The gospel is so valuable to the apostle Paul, his own life was not incredible what's this next verse this is i can't i love teaching preaching this what's this uh verse number 24 uh know you not that they which run in a race run all but one receiveth the prize look up here look up here look up here doesn't that make sense that when a race when they blow the whistle when you go mark set go everybody runs how many win uh one Excuse me, here's the problem. Many of us go, well, I know I'm not going to win. Is everybody with me? It's not me. Listen to me. Look what he says. Verse number uh, 24, I want to read it again. Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the price? Watch what he says. So, run. What do you mean? Run, that you may obtain. Everybody's running, but you're supposed to run as if you're the one going to get the prize. You get your eyes off everybody else and everything else, and you have your eyes on the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Put your eyes on Him, so run. Oh, so I can do it. (gasps) They all run. One receiveth the prize, so run, that you may obtain. Next verse, verse 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate and all things. Look up here, look up here. Remember, now Paul is giving the metaphor again. This is about a race. And he said, in the race, everyone that wants to obtain the Olympic status Everyone that wants to win the race, strive before the mastery. He said, they all do it. Watch how he says it in verse uh, uh, 26. He says, they are temperate in all things. Temperate. Here's another word. They have self-control in all things. Why? Well, so they can be in the race. So they can run the race. So run that you may obtain what you're supposed to do. Well, in, in physical life and the mastery, they all do it. To, they're temperate in all things. What's your Bible? Verse 26. No, I'm sorry. Verse 25. I'm doing, uh, yeah, 25. Every man that's striving for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. These people on earth during Paul's day that ran in the Olympics, you know what they got when they won? Some olive branches. Hey guys, see what I won? How long does that last? Well, it's not very long. They have a corruptible crown and they're, watch, they're temperate in all things so they can get an olive branch. We do it for an incorruptible crown. Gold, silver, precious stones. Somebody say amen. Amen. That's why we're doing it. 
we're doing what? We're being temperate in all things. What? No, no, look at your verse, look at your Bible. Verse 26. I therefore so run. Excuse me. When Paul gives his testimony again, how does he run? He runs, striving for the mastery. He runs as though to win. He runs and he is temperate in all things. Amen? That's what he said. I therefore so run. And then he says, not as uncertainly. Paul said, when I take off running, I know exactly what I'm doing. I know my intent. I know my goal. I know my desire. I know my heart. I am going to be temperate in all things. Why? That I might gain an incorruptible crown. So run that you may obtain. Is everybody getting this? That's how Paul ran. Wow. I uh, have some help here uh, Oh, let's see where we are. Uh, A.T. Robertson says uh, uh, in this athletic event that he's describing here, he says, the athlete then, back in Paul's day, and now has to control himself. Training for 10 months was required under the direction of trained judges. When they say train judges, they mean like train managers, train coaches. And they are watching these people train for the Olympics, for the games. Listen, A.T. Robertson says, Abstinence was required and a rigid diet and a regimen of habits. If you're going to run in the race. Epictetus, a man of the first century, he said, Thou must be orderly, living on spare food. Abstain from confections. Now, we'll be honest with you. I had to look up the word confections. What is that? You've got to abstain from confections. I looked it up. You know what confections is? It's chocolate cake. <laughs> it's chocolate chip cookies. You can't have a lot of sweets. Do you know what if someone told me that you're going to be on our team? No chocolate cake. I go, I ain't on your team no more. Because sometimes you got to have some chocolate cake or chocolate chip cookies. You just have to. It's part of life. I can't abstain from <laughs> chocolate chip cookies. I will tell you that I can do, I can, I can have three candy bars in my desk drawer. And I've done it before when I pastored. You have a Milky Way, a Snickers, and a Payday or an Almond Joy. They're in my desk drawer in the bottom drawer. I know they're there. They can stay there a year. I won't eat them. But if you give me hot or warm Chocolate chip cookies laying on my desk. I'm going to eat them. If you give me three, I'm going to eat three. If you give me 12, I will eat 12. If it's two dozen before the day is over, I will eat two dozen. Brother Dave, you don't have any self-control. I need to eat chocolate chip cookies. I can't resist them. I can resist chocolate cake. I can resist pie. I can resist that stuff. But when someone puts a warm chocolate chip cookie, I'm going to eat it. I don't know what's wrong with me. I just don't have, I can't say no. I love it. Just three weeks ago, I was in New Mexico, and this teenage girl we were at the preacher's house, we went to their house, we had a great meal, and the teenage girl brings out chocolate chip cookies this big. They're hot. You know when you hold them and they just kind of just bend over just a little? Huh. I picked it up. Well, first of all, they put it in front of me, the plate. There's 12 on the plate. They're this big. And I go, are these mine? They said, well, Brother Dave, you can eat them all, but it'd be nice if you share. Well, if I have to. I shared. There were six people there. There were six gone, counting mine. There were six left. I ate them. I ate seven right there at three o'clock in the afternoon, ate them all. That night I preached. <laughs> that night in bed, I'm going, whoa, I really, I think I ate too many chocolate chip cookies. That's a lot of chocolate chips. They were good. The next day, we ate at their house again. 
the same girl brought this plate of chocolate chip cookies. Brought him out and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Don't even bring him in this room. I was able to say no. Because I was sick. If she would brought him the next day, I'd ate them all. Wait a minute. If you're going to run in the race, there's going to be times that you're going to have to say no to stuff you like. It's going to be like self-sacrifice. Self-denial, maybe even demanding rigid care. Mercy. Horace of the first century said, The youth who would win in the race hath borne and done much. He hath sweat and he hath been cold. Wow. Paul describes himself and he said, I didn't do this with uncertainty. I ran to win. I knew what my goal was. Now, what's your Holy Bible? This is awesome. What's your Bible right here? Verse number, uh, uh, verse 26. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I. Not as one that beateth the air. Did you hear that? He just changed the metaphor from running to fighting. The word fighting, uh, anyway, we don't use the word much anymore, but it's Pugilism. They're pugilists. They're boxers. They're fighters. They're pugilists. Paul said, that's how I fight. How do I fight? I fight as to win. He says, not as one that beateth the air. (laughs) Paul said, I'm not shadow boxing. It is a bummer when you're shadow boxing and you lose. Because you trip and chip a tooth and you go, what happened? I was shadow boxing and lost. (laughs) Paul says, I'm not shadow boxing. I'm striking something more solid than air. I'm not fighting uncertainly. I know exactly what I'm striking. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. What does that mean? I keep under my body, bring it into subjection. It sounds like he's trying to keep his body in subjection. Amen? I thought I'd read this to you. Uh, I'm going to read you the Greek phrase, I keep under my body, bring it in subjection. Listen to the Greek phrase. The reason I'm reading that to you is because those same words were written by Aristotle, Aristotle, Aristophanes, and Plutarch. You can find it in their writings. The reason I'm reading that to you is that other people wrote the same words, and we have it translated in our Bible like this, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. When you translate Aristotle's or Plutarch's or where they're writing, it, it it's increased in its definition and description. It says it like this. It's to buffet the part of the face that is under the eye. To blow a blow to the face. To give one a black eye. Robertson and Plummer, they say it like this. I, I love this. This is this. What's your, I, keep under my body. Bring it. Listen to what they say. It's like horses in a chariot race, which must be kept well in hand by whip and rein if the prize is to be secure. Can you picture the horses going around the circle and the driver of the chariot, he's whipping them and he's pulling on the reins, pushing on the reins. He tries to keep the horse under control. Vincent Word Study says it means to strike under the eye, to give one a black eye. Paul knew what he was talking about. The games were not unfamiliar to the Apostle Paul or to the people of Rome, of, to the nation of, of Corinth. They, they were not unfamiliar with it. They knew that the, the pugilists, the boxers, the fighters in their day fought to the death or near death. Wow. Vincent Word Studies. He's describing the pugilists and their gloves, these boxers. And uh, this uh, uh, fellow named Rodolfo Laziani, he says, 
Uh, the construction of the fur-lined boxing gloves secured by thongs wound round the forearms halfway to the elbow. The gloves were covered the thumb and the hand to the first finger joints. Intellus writes, no, I'm sorry, Virgil writes, and he's describing this boxer named Intellus. And he says, so Intellus throws his boxing gloves into the ring, formed of seven bull's hides, and, and with lead and iron sewed into them. Vincent says, the cestus, the glove, consisting of oxide bands covered, the, covered with knots and nails loaded with lead and iron. When Paul talked about keeping under my body and bringing into subjection so fight I, he knows the kind of boxing gloves he's talking about, and he is not striking the air. What is he striking? I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Paul is saying that what he does, he is not fighting the air, he is striking himself. What do you mean, Brother Dave? He is telling himself, no, you don't get your way. You don't get to do what you want to do. I don't know if you know the Holy Bible, but Paul the Apostle says, I die daily. And us crybabies in here, we rarely die. We get to do whatever we want. Hang out with whoever we want to. We're not committed to Jesus Christ that He's really Lord. We're not even sure He is Lord. Oh yeah, He's the Savior. We get to go to heaven, but I don't want Him bossing me around. I don't want to have to like tell myself no. I don't want any self-control. I don't want any rigid care. Is anybody hearing me? Uh, no, 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 no. See, some, we're such crybabies today that when somebody gets up and preaches like I preach and we're going, uh, that ain't the kind of Christianity we're doing, okay? We do it how we want. Well, I'll just say it like this. You won't be on the race. You won't be doing the race that Jesus is the author and finisher of. You'll be inventing your own race. And there's plenty of that kind of Christianity out there. They do it their own way. Mercy. When we talk about this race, we must have self-control. Go back to Hebrews 11. I'm getting close to the end. Hebrews 11. Did our heroes accomplish anything by faith? Did God still use them? Now, I guess I've lost some of you. Let's start over. Did our heroes ever mess up? Did God still use them? Uh, absolutely. They accomplished great things. I would like to read the whole chapter of Hebrews 11. I'm not going to. We're going to jump in at verse number 33. I mean, I'm sorry, 32. What shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and, all the pro and of the prophets. Verse 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Time out, time out, time out. I'm weary with the crybaby Christianity that says, that ain't real. That's not really true. They didn't really do that. Oh, so you're going to argue with the Apostle Paul, argue with God's Word? 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Verse 34. Quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. Waxed valiant in fight, turned the flight of the armies of the aliens. Time out, time out, time out, time out. And your Christianity, is anything good happening? Or do you keep getting swept away by everything out here? Are you standing for God and by faith wonderful things are happening? You go, well, it's really not real. Keep going. Verse 35, women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. I think that's really weird. These people were tortured. And many today in our Christianity say they were fools. They were foolish. Uh, I think not. 
I think Jesus is who he said he was. I think it's real. Keep going. Verse 36, and others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawed in sunder, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. No, no, not us. We're sitting in our air-conditioned houses and offices and cars, and we get to do what we want, eat out when we want, and have a good time. We're not tortured. We're not wondering about our life is good. So we act like these people were fools. Keep going. Verse 38. Of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, and these all died, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise of God. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm saying that our heroes did finish the race. How could they do it? Well, the only way I know what the Bible says is by faith. I don't know if you got that. The just shall live by faith. That's the only way you can do it. How can I run with patience, self-control? How can I have self-denial? How can I have, go through this pain and disappointment and all that with a calm, unruffled spirit without, without complaint? How can I do that? The only way I can do it, how can I run by patience, with patience is by faith. Because I got my eyes on Jesus. Can somebody say amen? amen? If you were in Denver, Colorado on Interstate 25 going south, I will tell you that I'm almost, I'm close to done. I got about three, four minutes. Maybe five. <laughs> if you're on Interstate 25 going south out of Denver going toward Colorado Springs, as you're going south, if you take an exit to the west, that would be up into the mountains, Rocky Mountains, it would be uh, Highway 24. State Highway 24. As the highway goes up into the mountains, it starts turning into a switchback, a serpentine highway. And it's going up, and where you're headed up into the mountains is a place called the Cave, Cave of the Winds. As they're going there, it's a destination place for tourists and so on. Some camping goes on and so on. As you're going there, as you get close to there, there's a huge cliff, just a straight rock wall on the right and on the left. And the way the road turns, many people, whether they're in a pickup truck, a car, or an RV, they're come to that turn and they stop, completely stop, because it's an optical illusion that you go, I can't fit through there. This ain't going to work. And as they sit there, up this rock wall on the side, if you look up around 25 feet, there's a sign there that says, oh, yes, you can. <laughs> Thousands already have. I'm telling you, when you and I are in the race, and self-denial and self-sacrifice, begin to take hold and we're running in the sand and everything else around us seems to be unreal. It doesn't seem to be working. I'm telling you, the witnesses in the cloud are saying, oh yes you can. Thousands already have. The only way we can do that is by faith. I have a little piece of poetry I want to read to you and I'll be done. I'll make some comments about it and I'll be done. It's written by a lady named D. Groberg. Miss D. Groberg wrote this little poem. The name of it, in fact, is called The Race. I want to read this to you. Quit. Give up. You're beaten, they shout at me and plead. There's just too much against you now. This time you can't succeed. As I start to hang my head in front, of, in front of failure's ugly face, my downward fall is broken by the memory of a race. A children's race. Young boys, young men, how I remember well. Excitement, sure, but also fear. It wasn't hard to tell. They all lined up so full of hope each sought to win that race. Or tie for first, or if not that, at least take second place. And fathers standing on the side, each cheering for his son. 
And each boy hoped to show his dad that he would be the one. The whistle blew and off they went, the young hearts and hopes afire. To win and be the hero was each young boy's desire. And one boy in particular, whose dad was in the crowd, was running near the lead and thought, my dad will be so proud. But as they speeded down the field across a shallow dip, the little boy who thought to win lost his step and slipped. Trying hard to catch himself, his hand flew out to brace. Amid the laughter of the crowd, he fell flat upon his face. So down he fell, and with him hope, he couldn't win it now. Embarrassed, sad, he only wished to disappear somehow. But as he fell, his dad stood tall and showed his anxious face, which to the boy so clearly said, Get up, run the race. He quickly rose, no damage done behind a bit, that's all. He ran with all his mind and might to make up for his fall. So anxious to restore himself, to catch up and to win, his mind went faster than his legs, he slipped and fell again. He wished then he had only quit with only one disgrace. He'd already quit with only one disgrace. It's hopeless, says the runner now. I shouldn't run the race. But in the laughing crowd, he searched and found his father's face. That steady look which said again, Get up. Run the race. So up he jumped to try again, ten yards behind and last. If I'm going to gain those yards, I've got to move really fast. Exerting everything he had, he gained eight of the ten. But trying so hard to take the lead, he slipped and fell again. Defeated, he laid silently, a teardrop from his eyes. There's no use running anymore, three strikes, I'm out, why try? I've lost, so what's the use, he thought, I'll live with my disgrace. But then he thought about his dad, who soon he'd have to face. Get up! An echo sounded loud and long. Get up! Take your place! You weren't meant for failure here! Get up! Run the race! So up he rose to run once more, and with him new commit. He resolved that win or lose, at least he wouldn't quit. So far behind the others now, the most he'd ever been. Still he gave it all he had, and he ran as though to win. Three times he'd fallen, tumbling. Three times he'd rose again. Too far behind, the, too far behind to hope to win, but still he ran the end. They cheered the winning runner as he crossed the line first place. Head high and proud and happy with a smile upon his face. But when the fallen youngster crossed the line last place, the crowd gave him the greater cheer for finishing the race. Even though he came in last and head bowed low, unproud, he thought that he'd won that race to listen to that crowd. To his dad, he sadly said, I didn't do so well. To me, you won, his father said. You rose each time you fell. And now when things seem dark and hard, the memory of that race, in spite of all life's ups and downs, I cannot quit the race. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me, hear me well. The question is not, are you going to mess up? And the, the question is not, are you ever going to fall? That's not the question. If you're breathing air, if you live for another 24, 48, 72 hours, you're probably going to make a boo-boo. That's not the question is if we're going to fall. The question is, are you going to get back up? Will you get back up? Are you going to let Satan defeat you and say, that's eh, probably not real anyway? Are you going to get back up? Are you going to let your flesh win the battle? Are you going to let your flesh get your eyes off Jesus and get your eyes on everything around you? And you're going to fall headlong. Excuse me, some of you go, Brother Dave, you don't know how many times I've fallen. Well, I'm just telling you, you don't know how much grace God has. 
The only reason I'm standing in this room preaching tonight is because God let me get back up. That's the only reason I'm standing here. He's a God of mercy and compassion that's brand new every morning. And he said, McCracken, you can get back up. Get up! Get up! You weren't meant for failure here. I'm telling you tonight, you and I need to make the, the decision, the commitment, that God, by your grace, I'm going to get back up. Now, if all this is fairy tale stuff to you, that Jesus really isn't who he said he was, and we really don't need to worry about all this race stuff and self-discipline and self-sacrifice, that it's really not real. What you need to do is know who Jesus really is. Jesus Christ is God's only begotten Son. He is the God-man. He's every bit God. He's every bit man. And he came to this planet to die for mankind's sin. It was the only avenue that God gave for us to have access to God is his only begotten son. If you neglect him and turn him away, you have no hope of eternity and forgiveness. But God's son is just as real as you breathing air right now. God's holy son died for your sin. If you don't know him, he wants you to know him. He wants to be your Savior. He wants to forgive your sin. He said, Brother Dave, Brother Dave, I'm already saved. I go, hallelujah. Let me ask you this. Have you ever fallen? Did you get back up? Our enemy would tell us, you might as well give up. You're such a loser. You're going to keep messing up. And our Heavenly Father, our Savior, say, no, 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 get back up. Oh, yes, you can. Thousands already have. I'm going to ask you to stand. Thank you.